people would be sweeping it every morning, as you do in India, you know, they sweep the roads. And, of course, once they got the pile of leaves and sticks and rubbish, they set fire to it. Yeah, they burn it. So, you know, the the street was clean, but the air was dirty. Yeah. Yeah. So, Peter, basically, you're saying Australia acclimated well to India in Delhi by sweeping everything in the morning and setting fire to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. TV Empire to director, we have a player review. Can we rock and roll, please? Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Bits and Pieces. Today we have a very special guest, a cricket journalist, a writer and author from Australia. Peter Lawler was born in 1827 and was an Irish-Australian <laughs> rabble rouser uh, and later a politician who rose to fame for his leading role in the Euro- Eureka Rebellion. Uh, This was indeed the moment that uh, commenced modern Australian democracy as we know it. So we were all totally non-surprised that Peter Lawler, after all these years, got to preside over a great democratic procession uh, in the world's largest democracy, uh, the free and fair democracy, only last week in Ahmedabad, and later even got to sit on the Modi mobile and verify that democracy is indeed in safe hands today. Wait, wait, hang on, hang on. So I think Chat GPT served up the long, wrong bio for Peter Lawler when I typed that in. So it's better to ditch AI and go for what one knows already, hey? Peter Lawler, welcome to the Bits and Pieces podcast today. That was very amusing. You know, people say that was the birth of democracy, but it was miners' rights, wasn't it? I mean, they were miners. I'm not a big fan of miners these days. They were more likeable in those days. um. (laughs) Peter is the chief writer for The Australian and has been writing as a reporter and a columnist for over 30 years. He writes about non-cricket stuff too. In non-cricket books, his book on the Sydney Harbour Bridge is a fantastic read. Uh, Peter is a Sydney cider. And uh, because this is the world's friendliest podcast, we will forgive him for it. Um, and, and I really don't know how Gideon Haig, uh, his co-traveller, copes with uh, Peter's love for Sydney. But that's- I'm a, I'm a Victorian originally. I was born in Bendigo. Oh, and uh, oh, educate and educated in Melbourne. In fact, I learnt the ways of the world in Melbourne, and I came to spread the faith up here in Sydney to try <laughs> and correct a few of their mistakes. Cross, I taught them how cross. I taught them how to make coffee. You know, I taught them what a good cafe is, what a good beer is, and how to dress in black. I've ta- I'm, I'm I'm still spreading that faith. Thirteen black T-shirts I counted in the drawer yesterday. There you go. Peter has also written um, a beautiful biography uh, of my uh, AFL footballing hero, um, Ron Baresi, uh, Aussie Rules uh, legend. Um, he's also written a bi- biography on Philip Hughes. I think he, you co-wrote that one. Uh, again, a wonderful read leading to the events, I guess, that sadly uh, led to his uh, demise and, and really did change cricket itself in so many ways. He's also written a book on beer. Definitely, we will explore that. Uh, as, as Michael Beer. <laughs> Good one. Peter, normally our intros go for about 30 minutes and we talk about cricket, mostly nonsense, oh. for about 10 minutes. I might go and get a beer while you're doing the intro. <laughs> oh. we'll, stop, we'll stop the intros here with a simple welcome. This is uh, yeah. a friendly podcast. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. It's an honour to be here. Gideon spoke very highly of you. You had him on a few weeks ago, didn't you? I know he enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. We, did. Yeah. we did too, yeah. <laughs> Peter, you must have probably got a sense of what this podcast is about already, in case you didn't. So when we spoke about the OG Peter Lolo, 
we mentioned miners and you said you used to like miners and you don't like them so much anymore that's because those miners all grew up and become became adults okay <laughs> <laughs> that's that that's the sort of humor that features on bits and pieces yeah. so just to give you uh, i thought yeah. i thought you were going to go with uh, peter lawless definitely not batting from the adani end like miners yeah. and yeah that's yes Ooh. it was the mining oh, connection yeah. wasn't it during the fourth <laughs> test the adani <laughs> end yeah <laughs> the south end and reliance yeah. used to have the other end but they've taken their advertising down I don't know what's going on there with the Ambani's. Oh, isn't it called the Geo End now? Yeah, something like that. It's certainly Which not is, called the Reliance anymore. Geo yeah, is still, still a, a Reliance company, so it's just called yeah. the Geo End. Yeah. So, yeah. Somewhere, uh, somewhere between Ambani running India and Adani's running India, we all grew up. Which is what we want to say. That's that's it's been a rather recent phenomenon, wasn't it? When I first I visited India, it was the, the Tatars running the place. I think. Indeed, yes. Is indeed, that how you pronounce yeah. their name, Tata? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They built yeah. That's right. Ma- yeah. A magnificent yeah. hotel down on the waterfront. Indeed, yes. Right. They, they were Gujaratis too, weren't they? They were Persian traders, I think. Uh, not Gujaratis. Parsis, yeah. Parsis. Parsis, Parsis, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll start with some observations on the Ahmedabad test, and of course the series itself. What did you make of the the Modi chariot? Let's start. With that. <laughs> the the joyride on the joyride. All, all I could think about was how jealous Scott Morrison must be. You know, he was so close, to, and you kind of you kind of drive. I mean, you drive around all of India, and you realise that. Morrison's an amateur, you know, with all his, his sort of resident photographer doing photos of him pretending to put up a chook shed and pretending to cook a, an Indian curry. But boy, oh boy, Modi has got that down pat, hasn't he? It's every five <laughs> metres is a photograph of him doing things. Uh, I think yeah. he's on every every street corner, every billboard, backs of auto rickshaws. So it was kind of nice to have the culmination of that sort of Modi phenomena on the first day of the test. It was a spectacle to behold. I wonder what was going through Elbow's brain. Elbow's only lives about, oh, lived four blocks from my house. So he's a Marrickville boy. Didn't really expect to see a Marrickville boy going around that open top car with Modi. That was a uh, interesting, interesting um, display. I know I was reading um, Ramchandra Guha on it the other day. He was talking about the shameless narcissism of it um it was good it was interesting to watch it up close <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in a stadium named after himself <laughs> but yeah yeah i don't know I, if you uh if you know of this anecdote uh involving bharat sundaresan right from your australian press pack uh he I've was heard uh, of him so long-haired guy isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so he had to show his vaccine certificate to get into a ground or into an airport and he showed his vaccine certificate, which of course has Narendra Modi's picture on it. And the security guy didn't let him. This is not you, clearly. <laughs> like, <you're> all, <laughs> there are a billion of us, and all our certi- all our vaccine certificates have the same picture. So that the only civic project that doesn't have Modi's photographs on it is the sanitization project, the toilets. <laughs> and guess what they've got? They've got um, old mate Gandhi's glasses. Yeah, so glasses basically, Gandhi's been requisitioned to the toilets while Modi <laughs> takes the fun out. Do you know why Skomo, Skomo should be happy? Because uh, there is this sort of uh, meme going around, which is that uh, whoever Modi's welcomed or hugged has lost the next election, whether it's Donald Trump, <laughs> Jair Bolsonaro, or any of the other. Yeah, sort of uh, well, Mor- Morrison got ahead of the curve, didn't he? He tripped yeah, over yeah. before he got there. So, yeah. <laughs> in fact, a bunch of us in India, we thought, uh, Albo is pronounced Albanese. I I learned during this event that he's actually he goes by Albanese, 
which mm. makes sense because he did look quite uneasy so <laughs> <laughs> yeah he 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 looked he looked pretty strange on the, on that modi mobile the thing that i want to explore the articles that came in the wake of this particularly from ram guha gideon hague wrote quite a few pretty hard hitting articles but he's conveniently not he's your traveling partner he's conveniently not on twitter so does he pay you danger money for fronting up for all the abuse <laughs> that you get from him <laughs> or because of him <laughs> People were running photographs of me and saying it was him. So, you know, there was every chance that anyone who wanted to take vengeance on him would uh, would get me. Oh, look, we're pretty much in lockstep on that stuff. We discussed it before doing the podcast, and Gideon was very strong on the podcast as well. And, look, he's not a guy who flies off the handle without dotting his I's and crossing his T's. And... Um, he did a lot of research for that article. In fact, he disappeared for about 36 hours into his room. And I kept, you know, Normie Gideon says, I'm, I'm just going to go and write my column. And about just after the door, you know, the door slams, the column drops into your inbox. In this case, it took two days. Um, and I knew he was really working up to one. I mean, yeah, I mean, we obviously read widely anyway. We're both sort of interested in politics and we couldn't help but be alert to some of the things that have been going on in India recently. I tell you what, the economic transformation is fantastic. Can I, can I put in a positive word? The, uh, boy, things have really, really changed in India, very noticeable in, even in the last decade. But obviously I've been going there for 30 years. But the, the rise of the middle classes is something to behold. I mean, it has its downsides, but it, it's... It's great to see so many people sort of living a more comfortable life these days. Indeed. Yeah, yeah if good. in more some, uncomfortable some, some circumstances, things. given the the mm. rise of pollution and the uh, traffic. Yeah. Indeed, Indore is known as the uh, as one of the cleaner cities in India. We talked about that, and so the bar is so low that any it's easy for any any city to be the cleanest city. You, uh, in yeah, you get to Indore after Delhi and you think, oh my God, I can breathe again. Thank God. Yeah. But then after about three or four days, you realise it's it's uh, the vanity of small differences. To be honest exactly with you, that, exactly. that that the road that our um, little sort of cheap and cheerful hotel was on. Um, you know, people would be sweeping it every morning, as you do in India, you know, they sweep the roads. And, of course, once they got the pile of leaves and sticks and rubbish, they, they set fire to it. Yeah, they it. So, you know, the, the street yeah. was clean, but the air was dirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really got to be a better system than that. But um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Little Peter, steps, so little your, your reflections on the, on the tour itself, um, when we think about the cricket that happened, if you look at it, it was a is a good tour, a good 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 mm. cricket all, all around. But what are your reflections on the tour? What could Australia have done differently, better? Um, what would they do differently if they if they travel say next year? Look, I don't think that they do much differently to what they did. I think that their the, I think that their plans and their processes were good. They let themselves down in an hour in Delhi. Um, they let themselves down similarly. I think with a tentative start, but. But they didn't. They they stuck to what they 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 planned to do all along. Some things were foist upon them, and some things were happy accidents. I think uh, having Travis Head come in as an opener, it wasn't something that they pulled out of their back pocket when they were in India. That actually uh, forewarned us that they might think about doing that with him in Asia. That might be a place for him to bat. Um, that that was a happy accident, and I think even as. As, as awful as it is to say, given the circumstances around it, but I think um, bowling Mitchell Stark instead of Pat Cummins in the last two tests was also a happy accident. But they stuck to their plans. They they approached the game they wanted to the way they wanted to approach it, except in those moments with uh, those uh, 
that that hour in Delhi essentially cost them the series, in my so, mind. There were other little things. I mean, Kuhneman wasn't sort of – I think that was their fourth or fifth sort of uh, – that was playing five in their bowling tactics, but he leapfrogged, it, leapfrogged ahead of a, a few other bowlers who were on the mm-hmm. tour. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Todd Murphy, I mean, they'd been planning for that. They'd, they'd had him They'd had him and Kuhneman on the A tour of Sri Lanka the year before with very much this, this outcome in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, I don't. I don't think they'd have changed a lot. I think I know if I allow myself to take my journalist hat off and put on a fan's hat, that was the one they let get away. That's what. That's what will kill them for a long time. You know, I said that about um, Head not getting the century on that bloody you know practice wicket at the end. You know, he'll really rue that because centuries <laughs> are hard to get in India. Yeah. You know, everything's got to go your way, and, and getting a pitch that goes your way is the last thing. You'll usually get that should eat away at the older ones in particular, and I think the Steve Smiths and those guys who've toured India many times and know how hard it is to a just to win a test, let alone win a series. And it was there; there was a chance to win that series, and they let it slip. Yeah. Yeah. So, Peter, basically, you're saying Australia acclimated well to India in Delhi by sweeping everything in the morning and setting fire to it. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look. It's it, it's a country that I don't know. That I think I think we live in such a warm bath in the West. You guys are all in Australia, aren't you? You know, you know how well, easy no, life is over here. But boy, oh boy, you, you get over there and that the noise of those crowds and the heat. There's just there's just this moment as a Westerner when you're in India for any protected period of time where you look back and go, gee. I really lost my mind that day, hadn't I? It just got on top of me. I think it, and it's it's it, the noise is something that is so different for Westerners, and it's not something that you're necessarily conscious of. I think you talked about Barat before. Barat's wife warned him when he moved to Adelaide to be prepared for something that you've never experienced before, and that's it's quiet. She said, <laughs> "You'll be, you'll be," you, and he said, "I lay awake at night and I could hear my heart beating and I could hear myself breathing, and it was very disturbing." And and he said something very sensible to me. He said, "If you, because we both have dogs," and he says, "If we took our dogs to India, they'd just die of overstimulation." You know, I don't know. You know, an Indian dog can lie down in the middle of eight lanes of traffic and sleep like like a cow does. It doesn't seem bothered by anything. But, you know, uh, the dogs around here, they're so alert to sounds and things. Yeah. We're very similar. We're very we're very alert to sounds and we're not used to that. Cons- if you come from Australia or, a, a, you know, a sort of a, a place which is a, a bit essentially a warm bath like that and a quiet place to India where there it's constant sound, constant noise, constant activity, you're always on edge. You're always your, your senses, whether you're aware of it or not, are always alert. And I think, yeah, that's what got those Aussies. They thought, oh, I just got to get another hundred runs. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it works the opposite way for us, right? Because we started yeah. this uh, podcast in the Jan of last year. Uh, yeah. Still during lockdowns, etc. And India were playing in South Africa. And Kohli yeah. like, it's too quiet. I'm getting Siraj <laughs> yes. and the three others yeah. on the bench to clap for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know my India mates come to Melbourne for, for the cricket. And I can't believe how god-awful Melbourne is in, in, at Christmas time. Because everybody's yeah. left. Yeah. Nothing's open, yeah. you know. And so the Indian journos, they finish their work at 9, 10 o'clock at night and head out because you've got those ridiculous eating hours that, you, that they keep, and <laughs> everything's closed. All the, all, the, all the chefs have gone home to bed, you know, all yeah, the bars yeah. are sort of closing up. And yeah, yeah. Like, it's like a ghost town. I think it, I think they find it quite unsettling, actually. That it's yeah, that yeah, yeah. 
No, great point about uh, acclimatization that Tony mentioned also, right? Sweeping and setting fire to things. But on a serious note, uh, Peter, uh, I know test cricket is sort of getting marginalized into the corners of the calendar now. Australia came into this uh, tour without, you know, warm-up game. They didn't even get to play on turners, you know, not even at the nets, I think, you know, before this series. Do you think they could have fared better if they'd got a little more time out there? I, I know the BCCI would not have given them the right kind of practice and that's why they chose not to have a tour game also. But it looked like Australia were getting better through the course of the series and maybe with a little more preparation, they could have actually nailed that R at Delhi and, you know, we might have had a different result. Yeah. Possibly, possibly, but it's not going to happen, is it? I mean, and if you, what did they get? Six, seven days in Bangalore on pitches that they liked. Mm -hmm. They didn't get any uh, preparation of Pakistan apart from a, a turning yeah. wicket in Melbourne. Um, you're not going to get the time. And even when you had the time, would a month make you any better or would it wear you down more? Would it just be, you know, another month away from home? You know, I think there's Definitely. sort of a... There's an economic principle to that, isn't there, about reducing returns? I don't know what it is. I'm an art student, but um, yeah. <laughs> Diminishing returns. Diminishing, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great mm. point, yeah. Not sure, but anyway, that's what it is, and that's the way tours are going to be from now on, and that's that's why it's going to be good to play India in a warm-up game for the Ashes, isn't it, in the World Test Championship? <laughs> That'd be good. That'd, that'd yeah. be good. It, happened, it happened the other way around last time. New Zealand had just finished an entire... Yeah tour in England, and then yeah. played the, the World Test Championship. And India had come from, I think, an IPL tournament or something like that. As well, they always yeah. tend to. As they always well, tend to. Yeah, well, both sides will essentially be coming from an IPL tournament this time, won't they? True. I think yeah. I think it's less than it's less than a week some of them will have for the turnaround if they make the finals. It'll be interesting to see if, they, if Australia doesn't lean on some of its players to make an early exit. Perhaps mm -hmm. get one of those <laughs> niggles, um, but yeah. I don't know if you. I don't know with the Ambani's paying all that money to Green whether we can get him out early. But um, it'd be a bit like saving Private Ryan. They got to keep that kid <laughs> safe. <laughs> Not that one. I've seen that film. I read about it. briefly wanted to uh, explore around uh, the captains that we've seen uh, in the last few BGTs, right? And I think Tim Payne has just called it quits as we speak. Um, yeah. And Steve Smith really sort of turned up for the last two tests, right? Uh, your take on, you know, sort of captains for Australia in the past few years and uh, if Pat Cummins is going to be there on the job for a fairly longish time and what were your impressions of his captaincy as opposed to Steve Smith's? I think Pat um, signaled very early on, at least I know I've heard him say this, I don't know if he said it publicly, but anyway, um, that he reckons that you've got a life expectancy of a captain and it's maybe four years. It might be even shorter when you're a fast bowler. Let's wait and see. I think uh, what what the Border Gavaskar Trophy highlighted and with the unfortunate um, death of his mother and him having to return home for the last two tests was that Steve is – that that the one real issue you're going to have as a fast bowling captain is in spinning conditions and with spinners. I, th we, I, that, I think it's that test documentary, the second the second one. I, I watched a bit of it recently, and I saw Pat studying at the computer on how to set fields for spinners. Mm -hmm. I mean, fast bowlers, you know, having a gasping down at fine leg when all that stuff goes on, and they don't bother themselves about it. Um, Smithy... Smithy, like a David Warner or a Manus Labuschagne, has got that 
busy mind. It's obsessed with cricket. It's obsessed with gaining an edge, looking for an advantage, just trying to find... They they never... I don't think their minds ever really switch off from the game. And I think the, the very fact that he sits at first slip, that he has a mind like that, that he's spent his whole life in the slip, Corden. So he's he's watched the spin when there has been spin bowling in Australian cricket. He's watched it or he's faced it. That he he is better suited to spin bowling. I think he's a very good. Having said that, he's a very good deputy for Pat to have because I think the best quality that you can have in a deputy is that they don't want to be captain again. And Smith's made it very clear publicly that that my time's passed. I'll, I'll do it. I'll love it when I've got it. But I don't want to do it. So um, he he really put in. I think he lifted for those last couple of tests, and he did, um, yes. he did a brilliant job. But I think that's probably the the the, the single flaw that that you'll find with a fast bowling captain is they're not they're not in a position to, and I don't think that they are predisposed to. Um, captaining when the spinners are on. It might be all right when Nathan Lyon's bowling in Australia because, you know, you move that fielder and you move that fielder and every, you know, every four overs. And everything works. One. But, in a, yeah. you know, uh, those first three tests were essentially um, played at T20 pace, weren't they? Every ball yeah. was critical. You know, you, you, yeah. you had, you know, you couldn't let things drift for four deliveries really because the game could slip, start to slip from you in that, in that shorter space of time. So uh, it was great to watch Smith do it. And I, uh, I like Steve Smith and I understand why Australian cricket didn't go back to him because I think, um, you know, every time there'd be a sideways look on the field, it would go back to being seen through that old prism, that um, Cape Town prism, which is tedious. And um, I actually thought when he was captain, he w- he was probably better suited to being a batter than a captain. Uh, but I'm not so sure about that now. Um, so I understood why they bypassed him and I understood why they've gone for Pat too. He's an articulate, intelligent and sensitive guy. And the sort of guy for the situation I think that Australian cricket found itself in when yeah. when Tim face-planted so so badly um, before the Ashes. I mean, we'd lost lost two captains in very quick succession uh, amidst sort of terrible scandals, hadn't we? One, one very tawdry scandal and another one that kind of rocked the nation. Uh, Pat had a calming influence there, brought his university degree and his nice big <laughs> smile and his bright blue eyes and all the girls love him and all the right-wing <laughs> nutjobs hate him, which makes me love him even more. So, <laughs> Yeah. There is something else to explore there. I think Nitin is going to ask you something else there. But but one one thing that I, I would point you to is Ashwin's YouTube channel. He talks very very highly of uh, of Steve Smith's uh, captaincy. By the way, when Ashwin's not bowling, he's he's making YouTube videos. He's fantastic at it too. He's very good at it. He's a very entertaining guy, Ashwin. Yes, yeah. yes. He's not the most loved member by the opposition players, but still. He's got a bit of spark maybe, to him that I maybe like. Not. Yeah. One other thing that I would say is that under under um, Cummins, I think this Australian team has actually become quite lovable as well, if you like. That's just because uh, you're a lefty, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but there was a zero stub mic chatter this series, I think. Very, very little. Uh, they were actually also true. friendly. Yeah. yeah, I talked. I talked nice. about it. Yeah. I, I remember I was on that 2017 tour, and it was a stink fest. Frankly, it was disgusting, <laughs> and and they get really tedious to cover. You know, you you just like in the, you don't mind 
a good yarn now and then, but constant sort of ugly battles between the two teams do wear you down. I mean, because you know, you're right about cricket because you love cricket. And yeah. I like both sides. I'm a big fan of Coley. He's, he's one of my favourite players in the world. But um, to constantly be talking about, you know, this, 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 blow up on the field, that blow up on the field, that rubbish with Smith and the DRS, which in retrospect <laughs> I'm far more suspicious of than I was at the time. Um, and at the end of that 27 series, um, who was captaining? Was it Rahul? Kohli. It was Kohli and Smith, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Kohli had injured himself, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Kohli was there and, of course, his presence loomed large and that was you know, height of angry Kohli. It of always course. came out when Australia yes. were around. Um, the Australians went to Rahul and said, you know, let's have a drink after the last test in Dharamshala. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get back to you. We're doing our warm down. And <laughs> one can only assume he said it to Virat and Virat said, not on your life. And when they finished their warm down, the Aussies were waiting on the balcony of their dressing room yeah. for a signal. They got on the bus and they just left, cello, you know, nothing. And look, I didn't blame them. It had been such an ugly tour. And, and Coley finished that tour. He started the tour by saying, I've got friends in the Aussie dressing room. Correct. He finished yeah. it by saying, I don't anymore. <laughs> Cricket shouldn't be like that. It's a bloody game. Yeah. So it was really yeah. good to see the way they played it this time. You know, if someone got beaten by a really good ball, they kind of acknowledged it, you know. Batters were upset when they uh, when they were yeah. When they were dismissed and <laughs> bowlers up. became frustrated, I don't mind that at all. You know, yeah. sometimes bowlers can blow up, especially fast bowlers. It's it's hard work, and you've got to be angry, but only in the moment, not this relentless ugliness that sort of marked Australian cricket. And and I think Virat Virat tapped into it too with Indian cricket to a degree, but yeah. he's he's matured, and I think he signalled yes. that when he asked the crowd at the Oval to stop abusing Steve Smith. That was a wonderful yeah. gesture. And he's much mellower man now. So are yes. the Australians. I think they've seen the error of their ways and they're, they're more mellow. Yeah. 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 In fact, on that note, uh, there has been a lot of chatter about the pitches, right, on this yeah. tour. And, uh, I mean, let's state it up front, the, the pitches in the first three test matches were quite, quite strange and the third one, I think, was a bit of a travesty. We didn't hear anything from the players. The players actually put up with it fairly well, right? They didn't they didn't really yeah. talk about the pitches. But we wanted to ask you about the uh, take in the Australian media uh, about the pitches, right? And mm. a lot of, mm. you know, puff of dust narrators. In fact, Ashwin talks about it in his most recent video yeah. know, in a slightly mocking way. Puff of dust came in the morning of the match. Puff of dust came in the morning of the match. Puff of dust, nine. Yeah, the whole puff of dust, you know, the victim mentality, the siege mindset around pitches and how the Australian media perceives it. I'm sure that's mm. what's said back home. So there's a bit of a narrative that's peddled, you know, about the orientalism of the pitches. But what's your take on the pitches and... Uh, Look, yeah. Personally, personally, I like the pictures and the cricket they create. Uh, when I report on them, I report on what's going on and the fact that uh, that the BCCI have, to, uh, you know, a head of curators who flies in and then discusses with and appears to discuss with the coach, with Dravid, what sort of 
what sort of pitch they want, and and that's going to be a pitch that turns from day one these days, isn't it? Because I think there's even a greater um, pressure on India to win because of the World Test Championship and this whole confluence of politics with the BCCI these days. It's just become so intertwined. I mean, these are realities. I mean, these are undeniable realities that, that this happens, and this is fascinating to us. Like, readers love this stuff. So you report on it, and and yeah. I and and it's legitimate to report on it. And people will say you're whinging, or you know, you're setting up a victim mentality. Well, you're not. You're reporting on on the very facts of the situation. And those first two wickets were rated below average, and the third was rated poor. So you know that that was backed up by the experience. And look, you can criticize. I criticize them on these grounds. I criticize them on the fact that. Countries going that far is a bit over the top. It's a little too far um, to win a match, to to make sure that conditions are so utterly hostile that, in fact, they become hostile to your own batsmen. Would you like to be a yeah. batsman in an Indian cricket team now? Would you like to be a fan who who tries to get tickets for day th- uh, the afternoon of day three or day four or, God forbid, day five? Um, <laughs> and equally broadcasters, I, I, I wonder... Uh, how it affects them. They are basically the first three tests. They only got half the content that they paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That costs a lot of money in broadcasting terms. But don't, I love watching cricket on pitches where 40 or 50 is a good score. It just makes for fascinating cricket. But, yeah, it also makes for a fascinating story. But uh, I'm not complaining about those things, but I am pointing them out. One of the things that uh, India travel well, um, when much better now than they did in the 90s. We, you know, we, we, Tony, Nitin, myself, and lots of people in the WhatsApp group suffered through the 90s when we mm. thought we had a wonderful cricket team, but the results didn't bear that out at all, right? And that's simply because India traveled very, very poorly. And, and now compared to that, I think uh, as a team, India travels quite well. Now, it's easier to bet when you're away. Look at the wickets you have to bet on at home. Exactly. If you've got batters of the quality of the Indian batters, exactly. you want to see them on wickets where you can actually survive. Actually, actually supply them yeah. and then actually they can bat well. The the flip side of that is that, you know, what India did was actually invested in, in pitches that offered bounce and movement and all that sort of stuff. There's a pitch, um, Nitin will correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's called Lali or something like that, yeah. where the top, top score on a particular day might be 150 or something like that. Green mm. top, you know, ball fizzing around. There's in the north of India, Haryana. So there's that. There's Mohali, which offers bounce. There's a few other pitches that... that Dharamsala, of course. Dharamsala. In fact, this this series could have taken a very different uh, course if the third test had happened in Dharamsala. In Dharamsala. Because Absolutely, the, yeah. Clearly, they didn't have time to prepare the indoor pitch properly. Right? Whatever they tried there backfired to some extent. First-class yeah. cricket is very different to the test cricket. The pitch is, it is also. in India. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. But the, the flip side here is, what would it take? And it's it's probably a good preparation for Australians as well. You can drop in a dust ball if you want to into, let's say, uh, you know, Albury or Wodonga or or Bendigo or, or someplace, someplace else, like Gold Coast or something like that, and make that your spin pitch for players to get acclimatized to subcontinent type conditions, right? 
Wh- they've done not? it. They've done it. They've got one at the at the academy or what's at left the of the academy up in yeah. Yeah, they've got an in, in they've Brisbane. got a s- subcontinental wicket, which I always find a bit odd because if you go across the, the subcontinent, doesn't exactly have uniform wickets, does it? But uh, I think what they mean is an Indian, you know, raging turner. I don't know if it's the red clay or the black clay. That was black something clay. that I never really, I'd never really discerned a difference between those two wickets before this series, but um, the curators were presenting a red one and a black one to mm-hmm. the coach before a couple of days out from the test to see which one they wanted to choose. So, Peter, is that at the Allen Border Oval or at the Academy itself? Uh, well, it would be at, at, out the back at Allen Border. Yeah, the Allen Border, uh, uh, yeah, Allen Border is at the, the Academy, and I think right. there are wickets out yeah. the back, yeah. Okay, okay. All right, so so that might be the place where you know th- there might be some acclimatization, so that you know day one of the test when the pe- when the ball is turning, you're, you're just mm. used to it, anyways, right? So yeah. yeah, the Aussies they just looked uptight or something at the start of that test, didn't they? Like Pat Pat Cummins, his first two spells were as bad as I've ever seen him bowl. Yeah. I think yeah. they'd worked themselves up a lot for that series, and uh, they just got off on the wrong foot. But, uh, it's pretty hard to start at full steam, isn't it? Like, you can find out with journalism, you sort of you're writing better by the second and third test than you are. <laughs> then it all turns to crap in the fourth. Yeah. <laughs> Can't write no. Yeah. yeah uh, Peter, you mentioned you've been coming to India for thirty years, and you've seen like an explosion in terms of at least middle class well offness. But I think another thing that would have changed that you'd have noticed is in the variety of beer that is now available in India. Right, and Absolutely. like uh, as much as we love cricket, <laughs> we also love a good beer. So, uh, and uh, you are famous across the world as as the journalist <laughs> who paid an insane amount of money for a single beer. In fact, when I was looking uh, you up on Google, uh, there even came up a Hindi site uh, which had the headline: "Kel Patrakar se Hotel ne charge kia beer ka 50 lakh rupiah." I mean, um, <laughs> Hindi is not my native language either, but uh, I was amazed at how much they went into the actual conversion of the currency from. Four lakh, did you say? Was it four lakh, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Fifty yeah. lakh. Fifty lakh. Fifty lakh, Chas. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to ask you about your experience of beer in India. Has that changed? And uh, also, I'm sure you have quite a few beer yarns that we'd love to hear from you about. In fact, in fact, before Peter goes into that, uh, you know, Australia is known for 99.94, which is Bradman's average. It's also known for 99,983.64 dollars, <laughs> which is what <laughs> Peter paid for his beer at, at, uh, in Manchester one fine night. But yeah, over to you. Yeah, so tipped it over the hundred with once I got the bank charges on top. Two, I think it was two thousand dollars for the bank charges. Overthrows. As well. That's, that's exactly what Bradman should have done. He should have got an overthrow or something like that. <laughs> <clears throat> I first noticed the uh, beer revolution in India in um, when was the last tour? Two thousand seventeen, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it down was. in Bang. Yeah, well, well, the first for, the first test we were over there where the orange people come from, Pune. Um, <laughs> yep, and not Donald Trump. I mean the Russian issues. Um, <laughs> And there was a rooftop brewery there whose name escapes me at the moment, but uh, quite good beer, yeah. not bad. Then we went to Bangalore, and Bangalore had, at least, uh, back then, I think it had three beer craft beer cafes. It's probably got plenty more now. Probably In 300 the, now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like a bit like Mar- Marrickville. I think we've got 17 within walking distance of my house. Um, then, of course, this uh, beer product came up in the inter- 
uh, in yeah. the interim as well, which is obviously a, a big brewery passing itself off as a craft beer. But but good luck to them. They're, they uh, what really fascinated me is the love of um, white beer, of Belgian wit beers and wheat beers. Uh, yeah. Something that I used to love years ago, and I sort of went through a, a phase of going over to the German club near my house and drinking Erdinger uh, over there. And I noticed now that a lot of pubs in India have Erdinger on tap. The beer makes a wit beer, and and toward the end there, I noticed even Kingfisher are making mm. a wit beer to try and keep up. The beer is cold, which is fantastic. Yep. If only they could just find some quiet pubs in Delhi. Why does every <laughs> pub have to be a bloody nightclub? Drove us. You yeah. go out for a quiet beer, and all you get is doof, doof, doof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They've got a Bangalore has got some some really nice places. No, no, I wouldn't say elite, but but quite boutique places as well that serve um, some good beer, but in in quiet settings. But I shouldn't yes. be talking. I'm I'm in Australia. Uh, Nithin's uh, well, no, most Nithin's most of in Dubai, but in, yeah. originally yeah. from Bangalore. No, in Bangalore also, most of them are very noisy and uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite painful. In fact, yeah, oh, well, yeah. Indians get nervous when it's quiet. That's, isn't that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, the beer situation is fantastic. And look, my eyes lit up when I was in indoor, and right at the end of our little cheap and cheerful was a pub called Hobnobs. I think it's a chain over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had Cooper's Pale and Cooper's Vinti- uh, and Cooper's Stout. The pale was ridiculously stale, and in fact, I've got to send a message <laughs> to Cooper's to tell them not that they need to keep an eye on their beer in India because it, it it was out of date by about a year. But the stout was really good, really good. Nearly, it cost me nearly as much as that beer in Manchester. I might add, <laughs> those middle class establishments in India really know how to charge money these days, don't they? They've got to be on one of those. You've got to be one on those big wages. Yeah. Not a journalist. <laughs> Not a journalist wage, I can add. <laughs> Peter, we're going to go a little listically on you. And if you can tell us your top three favorite beers in India that you like to drink. In India, my top three favorite beers. Well, I like I liked the wit beer. The the so that is the beer of white. Yeah, that's right. Um I'm gonna. I've I've got a soft spot in my heart, especially if you're at altitude, and you have the Kingfisher Strong Beer. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah, you feel like oh, yeah. you're in. You feel like you're in Shiva's cave. You're that that high from two of those. Um, what's third? There was a. Oh gosh, th- you've got me now. Because there was a in. Um, Nagpur, which is – what a great city Nagpur is these days. Gee, that's mm-hmm. lifted from the first time we were there Indeed. in 2004. It's really lifted. Yes. There is a – when you come in from the airport and turn left, on your right-hand side, there's a craft beer cafe there. I don't know the name of it. It made a very nice red ale. I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. I oh, wow. That. That's, that's okay. nice. That's nice. And anyway, if you're coming in from the airport, you turn left onto the main street <laughs> of Nagpur, you know, under the under the – Double viaduct, longest viaduct in the world. Double viaduct in the world, oh, and the metro, oh, wow. and the metro line that they put on top of it is excellent service. It's as mm. good a public transport as I've used oh, really? anywhere in the world. Yeah, well, brand new, really friendly, gets you around. But anyway, one stop down, I reckon, on the metro, you get yeah. off, and there's a little craft brew pub on your right. It's very nice. So, so this is this is really nice. So you you stocked up on all the beer and all the beer stories, yeah. and then and then trained into Ahmedabad, which is completely dry. That, that was <laughs> well done, well done. Just, just like the series itself, it was bit of. It was a, funny though. I didn't. 
I didn't crave a beer at all when I got okay. there. I kind of just got into the vibe of the town, and it was yeah. a pretty strict vibe. Right at the end, I cracked, and I thought, I'll I'll go down and get my – I've actually got it here, my um, – my my drinking permit application for tourist permit yeah. for alcohol, oh, so I could have a be- Ooh, beer at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier to get a beer in Pakistan than it is to get a beer in Ahmedabad. Way easier. <laughs> You've yeah. actually got to have your um the boarding pass from when you arrive on the. You know, it doesn't matter that you've got your passport that says you're in India. It doesn't matter that you're actually in Ahmedabad. You've got to have a boarding pass that says that you're in Ahmedabad. You've got to have a letter from your hotel you've got to have your passport you've got to have you've got to get a code back from the government on your phone that you've got to verify (laughs) with the whole process takes about 40 45 minutes peter you you just said that it's easier to get beer in pakistan than it is in Ahmedabad. i think i think you just won the keys keys to the city or something like that (laughs) yeah 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 they'd be be proud of that wouldn't they exactly We were yeah. stuck in law. This time last year, I was stuck in Lahore with Barat Sundarason for and uh, Melinda Farrell for about four weeks in the Pearl Continental Hotel, which fortunately had the only bar in Lahore on the oh. second floor. So <laughs> thank goodness <laughs> those long those long gaps between one day games. I played a lot of pool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did you get close to David Boone's fifty-two by any chance? Uh, I'm not a big drinker. I talk, I talk, a, I talk a good drink, but I don't, I don't drink yeah. a lot. To be honest with you, no. Good stuff. For the record, I don't think any of us, Mohan, Tony, and myself, have been to Nagpur. I've, I've not been to yeah, Nagpur, so you're probably the only. So we're hearing about it from you. But as I tell, as I tell any Indian who criticizes my knowledge of India, I've, seen, I've been to more of India than you guys. All of you. I've seen more of it. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Probably read more about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but for the record, next time you're in Ahmedabad, it's a little yeah. difficult to get beer there. In fact, it's very difficult to get beer there. But you can always call someone to get hard hard liquor. Uh, yeah. And it, the bootleggers don't deal with beer too much because it's. I mean, it's, it's not worth the risk. But uh, no. hard liquor is available. Yeah. I figured there'd be a black market because down in the uh, car park at the Pearl Continental in Lahore, oh, there was a, a thriving black market in alcohol. But we were paying about five times the price up in the up in yeah. the hotel bar. But yeah, it's always the way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The local, there were local people coming in using a uh, fingerprint system to get their drinks. I don't know if they oh, were well. registered alcoholics or <laughs> friends of the. No, seriously. <laughs> Friends of the government or what, but they would come in and there was a fingerprint machine. They'd put their thumb on it and they would carry out bags of grog. Gee. I don't know what, what was going on there. Yeah. I wasn't allowed no. to take photos because photos are banned in the uh, liquor store. So, so Peter, you, you, you come across something that many of us have wanted to ask you. You come across as a left-leaning, um, I wouldn't go as far as saying, you know, uh, mm. extreme left or rabble raza or something like that, but but you oh, you I do would. come across. I would. You would. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what? How do, how does that? How does it compute with you being in in uh, a sports writer in the Australian? Stay woke, exactly right, exactly <laughs> right. But so for for the listeners, um, Peter just put up a, a poster that says uh, "Stay woke." But um, yeah, how does that? How does it work with that? And how does it? How, how do you work within the Australian? It's conform? an extremely conservative paper with an extremely conservative agenda, and, it, and it's, it's shameless about it. And uh, its politics certainly are at are, are at odds with me on on most things. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, if I read something on the op-ed pages of the Australian that I agreed with, I'd probably faint. Um, but that's their right. That's what they do. Um, I work in the cr- cricket section and I write about cricket and uh, I'm allowed to say what I think um, in those pages. I'm not, I'm, I mean, obviously we don't write about politics much in cricket, but as much as we can, <laughs> uh, they've never stopped me. Uh, they've never reined me in from, from my political views on, on social media, which are pretty strident, I must say, and yeah, pretty much yeah. sort of, um, uh, diametrically opposed to most of theirs but uh, uh they've got to keep me there because if philip adams dies though they won't have any lefties if i so uh, you know i'm kind of the backup for philip adams i'll probably get his column when he goes you know so mm-hmm. they can say well we've got we've still got a lefty columnist somewhere and uh, they'll <laughs> dust me off yeah. <laughs> so it for for people who um don't know Philip Adams or or, or stuff right. about that. You know, he, he's um, quite a quite a well thought out, um, scholarly kind of person. Does ABC radio as well yeah. on on top yeah. of writing for the for the Australian. And you, Peter, not you don't write just about cricket, right? So you 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 write when the AFL season is on. You write about the AFL as well. Sometimes I, I read something about Buddy Franklin. Was it last year that that he wrote about his hundredth game and yeah. so on? Yeah. Yeah. I try not to because I really I don't want um, I don't want my job to ruin all of the things I love and the, the only I only <laughs> love two sports and it's cricket and Australian rules <laughs> footy so I just like I like to be able to go to the football and have a drink and cheer you know <laughs> rather than sit rather than sit in a press box yeah. and write yeah. about it yeah that makes sense yeah yeah because I don't get to enjoy many games of cricket really. <laughs> not 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 in that way anyway yeah. yeah. Peter, we wanted to ask you uh, about match fixing, right? You've been around the block for a really long period of time, including. <laughs> I got accused of being a bookie when I paid $101,000 for a beer. There's a, <laughs> a little riff running around Indian cricket fans that he's clearly a bookie. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because he could afford a beer that expensive. Yeah. It, yeah. it all, all makes sense. But uh, take us back to, you know, when it first happened, I, I guess in Australian cricket, the first, uh, murmurs were when Mark Waugh and, uh, and Shane Warne, uh, you know, shared information and Salim Malik's, uh, whole controversy broke out. Um, at least in India, we believe that, you know, the naivete of journalists or maybe even the selective silence of journalists played a role in the spread of match fixing, right? Uh, mm. I, I don't think it was the same in Australia. We wanted to get your views on on fixing. And how does it feel to have covered certain games in a certain way and later to find out that, you know, those games were actually tainted and some of the heroes we spoke about were up to mischief in the background? Yeah, I, I wasn't. I was just a, a sort of ordinary run-of-the-mill journalist when that went down. I obviously talked to Malcolm and the crash and some of the guy and to Mike Coward and some of the guys who were around when that Hansy thing went down. And I think that they were pretty similar to my reaction as a fan and somebody at a distance from the game. It was just disbelief, absolute disbelief. It took me at first. I just thought this is wrong. The Indian police have got this wrong. And, you know, I need, then I, I very soon realized oh, I got it wrong. The Indian police had this right. That was just, that was stunning to us um, that that was going on there. There'd always been, you know, hints around those, um, those little tournaments in Sharjah that went on. There were a couple of those where peculiar things happened, but nobody was sure. Um, nobody really knew. I think even even recently around spot fixing, 
that was a shock, wasn't it? With, with Mohammed Amir and those guys in that um, in the test, uh, the in test England. in England. In England, and nobody. I mean, you looked at it, really in a test match. They've done this. Um, maybe I'm naive on this stuff. I don't know much about it. It's it's outside of our it's outside of our um, our sphere, our, our our understanding, our knowledge. You know, we sit in a press box and cover games and go to training. I mean. People might say to you sometimes that this game or that game, that looked a bit odd, but, gee, I saw Australia collapse in an hour in Delhi. That looked a bit odd too, didn't it? <laughs> um, you know, you can you can read anything you want into matches. I don't know. I'm not sure that I have covered games that there's been fixing involved. I, I don't know that. I know I've covered games where people have later turned out to be um, crooked and to be, you know, to be found to be on the tape or at least susceptible to being on the take, which was really the situation with that, that Pakistan set up. Um, it was quite a shock to read about some, some of the guys, um, in New Zealand. I forget the second guy's name now who's, who's been very, um, forthcoming about it and how he slipped Lewinson, into it. Lewinson, right? Yeah. Lewinson, yeah. right? Well done. Yeah, well done. Thanks, Nitin. Um, thank God someone's got a memory. I'm hopeless without Gideon around. Um, you know, that was that was a terrible tale, wasn't it, of a man in depression and sort of, fun, you it's know. Incredibly bad. Incredibly but, bad. Um, yeah, I must admit, it's it's not one of my strong points, match fixing. It's not one I know much about. I kind of know the big events. I sat I sat with a very interesting guy. I won't say which guy. Uh, well, he was he was actually a very senior member of the BCCI and had dinner with him the other night. He told me stories of his time in a BCCI that would make your blood run cold about mm. you know, notable yeah. players, you know, who've never been mentioned before. Um, I don't don't know if he was big noting at a dinner or not. I don't think he was. So things have always gone on, haven't they? But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just it's, – it's just not in my uh, – purview as that somebody says on <laughs> the thick of it and gets ridiculed for yeah and and as perhaps as a cricket romantic you probably want to not believe that that sort of stuff exists and, and mm. you might want to just say no i'm not well I, yeah i only cover test match cricket too do you I, I don't know how much of it gets gets in at that level anymore mm. it's pretty tight at that level isn't it, it tends it to happen on the peripheries more these yeah. days doesn't it in the leagues When you when you're critical of a, a player, um, and sometimes you need to be, how does that then come back? Is it daunting for you? Is the cricketer's response to you um, different after you write about them? In particular, if you go back to 2008 and uh, and your pieces on Harbhajan and all that sort of stuff, yeah. you're quite critical of what happened then. Around, yeah, it was. Uh, I was. I still am. I still am. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. How does that reflect on your future? Uh, how does it in intersect with your future framing and and articles and access and uh, approach to a player like let's say Harbhajan, but anyone else that you've been supremely, I mean, hard, harsh and critical of? Look, it, it's the rarest of journalists um, that that has good connections with the Indian cricket team. They they are they they live in their own satellite and they don't sort of deign to indulge the media that often. Um, but some do have very good relationships. Um, Barat obviously Sundarayan has some great relationships. Um, and there's some of the guys at Crick Info, some of the more senior guys over the years have developed relationships. But they're a tough nut to crack, and. Um, 
for an overseas journo, you you told me I don't think I've ever had a relationship with anybody in the Indian team. But I mean, having said that, Ravi Shastri is a great mate of mine. We're very close friends, and in fact, I remember in two thousand and eight, uh, Ravi coming up to me and said, "Peter." I hate what you write, but gee, I like the way you write it. <laughs> and we were friends, you know, and we've been friends, very close friends ever since. I suppose I can relate it more to the Australian team um, mm-hmm. because obviously I roam with them. You know, I, I live in the same hotels overseas as them. I spend a lot of time watching them in the nets. This is a very, very approachable group, this one. They've never been a more approachable and friendly and guards down Australian team than this one with the media and with fans, mm-hmm. which is good. They're not, they're not frightened or spooked by the media. But in the uh, summer, I was extremely outspoken about the future of David Warner on Channel yes, 7 and yes. in TV. But to, to give David Warner his due, he, he gets it, you know. And, and, and most of the sensible, mature uh, cricketers understand that if they're not making runs, they'll be criticised. Um, you don't always like. You don't like to have to do it. You feel, you know, you feel, you feel sick when you start saying, "Look, this is the end of somebody's career," because that's a huge thing. You know, mm-hmm. you you you're ejecting somebody out of of the, the greatest moment of their life of something they've they've devoted their life to for a long time. And I'm one of the last journos to ever call for anybody's head or say their time's up. You know, I always I'm I'm left liberal soft you know i'm soft as i always want to give them one more test or think that they might come right you know i always thought ricky ponning was going to come good i didn't really but you know i could see he was gone but i could see the reasons why they kept him on um with david i I don't think that david should go to the ashes um but i like david warner a lot um um I, I, I admire him as a person and as a cricketer, but I think his time's done and I'd like him him to make that call. But I'm glad I'm not a selector on that front. Yeah. Perhaps Glenn Maxwell as well at one point in time. There was uh, there were a couple of things you wrote. Uh, Possibly. Uh, Look, I know, there was, I, know I, I, uh, I was writing Finch off, Aaron Finch off, 12 months ago. It's true. Maybe it was two years ago. Um, very yeah, strong, yeah. saying, you know, he's in real trouble here. And had a string of really low scores. He looked yeah. terrible. Um, Getting out of the ex- W quite a bit. Yeah, and he, he was supposed to have an eye operation. He hadn't had it, but I knew that in the background and wasn't allowed to write it. Um, and I, I just wrote, oh, his time's up. It looks like he's got to move on. There's a World Cup coming up. They've got to get rid of Finch. I was wrong. He came good. And I remember the night he came good. I don't know, they're playing in Sri Lanka or somewhere. I was lying on the couch and he got to 50. My phone went, you know, I got a, a message from one of his relatives saying, Isn't it great? He got 50. And I think, I thought you'd abuse me. I thought that would be the last person in the world to talk to. And I said, No, no, we understand. You know, he was Beautiful. going like crap. You called it out. You know, That's you can't, wonderful. you can't argue with the facts of the situation. That's but there are, there are, parts of the media that jump in you know the first time somebody fails they want them sacked or the first time they look them sideways they want them disciplined i don't think they travel with the team i don't think they develop you know it, it's hard not to develop sympathies with them as human beings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you see them up close so often and you see how much work they put in and you know them as and you know them as people and you know their foibles you know um you know it, it's uh, you kind of yeah it's not as bad as being their parent. You know, you watch their parents in the crowd and you think that that must be the worst thing in the world to be the parent of a cricketer, to go through their ups and downs. It was, but uh, you, know, you don't feel anxious for them, but you do feel some sort of sympathy for them or empathy for them. 
we'll just close with a quick few rapid fire questions if that's okay uh, peter okay. your favorite indian city Thanks for not. Oh, is it is that your city? That's a ta- that's oh, a village. Oh, that's okay. No, go ahead. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Thanks for not. Where is that? You'll need to tell us. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's above McLeod Gans, which is above Dharamshala. It's a little yeah. it was a little shepherd's village where I used to stay when I was younger. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, what's it called again? Sorry. Bagsunat. I probably say it Bagsunat. wrong. Okay. Yeah, B A G H S U. As we have established on this podcast, you've traveled to India far more than, than some of them. So thanks, thanks for telling us. Yeah. Okay. Favorite yeah. Indian like- crowd at a stadium. Favorite Indian crowd at a stadium. Mm. Favorite stadium will do. If that's too tough. <laughs> oh, you pulled down all my favorite stadiums. I used to like the old <laughs> one at Nagpur and I like the CCI, but that's not a stadium anymore, is it? That's right. Oh no, well, it's it got to be, it's it got to be it oh, 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 it the, oh. the Babont still host games, yeah. I think all the Modi's friends and families day one at the Narendra Modi Stadium. That's <laughs> that's my favorite. That's my favorite. <laughs> okay, which as a journalist would you want to write less about? Steve Smith's brain fade or Marinus Labuschagne's toasty in the pocket? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! You know how many times we write about those people. You know, <laughs> you know I sit there and go, he fidgets. You know, yes, he fidgets. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Future captain though, isn't he? Surely. Hey. I like Smith's brain fades. I'm intrigued by Steve Smith's brain. I'm intrigued by Steve Smith. I don't think I'll ever completely figure him out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And and finally, uh, Ravi Shastri, the coach, Ravi Shastri, the commentator, or Ravi Shastri, the museum tour guide, uh, which <laughs> all three incarnations of uh, Ravi Shastri are wondrous and are to be worshipped and praised. <laughs> you you've gone back with more than a cough from india peter <laughs> got it with the program <laughs> uh, he's a great man ravi he was a fantastic coach i mean to pull off those two wins in australia was was something really significant and it was it wasn't a coincidence that it was ravi that did that the ravi shastri who who came to australia as a young man and kind of went i like the way they play cricket down here i want to play with that aggression you know i want to take these pricks on and you know <laughs> yeah. to come back 30 years later as the you know and he did that that did innings that. in sydney and at that um in that one day tournament the champion of yeah. champions thing 84 but to come back 30 years later as a coach or what however many years later it was and to imbue in your side that uh that attitude of don't ever take a backward step to these pricks you know if they poke you if they poke their finger in your chest you poke two fingers back into their chest that's the only way they'll respect them and to give those guys that belief that sense of uh, you can do anything even to you know siraj when he was going through that grief and you know he was essentially a net bowler wasn't he you know they they were there as extras on the tour by the end the, that bowling lineup to do what he did that was fantastic i'm a huge fan of him that makes two of us tony 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 is not unabashed uh, ravi shastri fan and, and good tony, on you yes <laughs> tony is the chairman of the ravi shastri fan club Oh, are you really? Yeah, I'm not carrying it. Okay, I'm the number one ticket holder <laughs> of the yeah, the, the foreign branch. Yeah. <laughs> nice. on, that, on that on that note maybe we should uh, let you go Peter you got a whole bunch of other things to go to maybe drink some beer in the Miracle pub or whatever but thank you so much for your time this uh, this afternoon we talked about cricket we talked about beer we talked about traveling and touring in India 
we we talked about Ravi Shastri. We talked about a whole bunch of things, including cricket writing and 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 so on. It's been fascinating. It's been fun. It's been enjoyable. Thank you so yep. much. For your Thank time. you so much, Peter. Thank you, Thanks, gentlemen. Nice way to spend Sunday, Ava. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. So Bye. that was Bits and Pieces, episode 63 with Peter Lawler's. 64, <laughs> is it? 60, whatever. Uh, Thank l- you. Listen, share, link, subscribe, like everything. All right. <laughs> Bye. Love it. Good. All right, then. Thanks, guys. I better run. Uh, thank okay. you. Thank very you, Peter. Yeah. See you later. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.